was trying to think of where to start. I, um, as I had mentioned it on the e-group um, a couple of weeks ago that I had fi just finished a retreat with Lungpur Suchito, an online retreat. And it was, um, it was really, <laughs> excuse me, what? Oh, sorry. I need to speak up. So I just finished a retreat. <laughs> I feel like I'm yelling with uh, Lampor Suchito recently. Can, can you hear me okay? Okay, great. And uh, one of the beautiful aspects of this retreat was re being reminded that um, to steer my mind toward the wholesome and to reflect on when this is done, what this feels like, because this encourages the mind to steer toward the wholesome. So I, uh, Alistair and I have a habit of reading in the Buddha Dhamma book. It's a very thick, it's probably about that thick, about that big, and it's about that thick, about five inches thick of um, writings on the Buddhist teachings by um, Fra Paiuto. And, uh, and we'll read a little section of it every morning. Um, most mornings, I should say. And uh, this morning, it was about craving and, and, and the motivation, motivational force behind craving. And it tied in very well with steering the mind. Um, I also, uh, and just now when I was down in my office for a second, I had this little paragraph that I read out last time I taught, or last time I shared, um, by Lung Corpasano. And if, it, I just thought it was a really nice segue into, he's saying exactly the same thing that uh, Ajahn, or Fra Paiuto is saying. Uh, Fra Paiuto is doing this in a very kind of scientific, technical way, which is great. I have one of those minds that just love, I love to understand what the physics of things are. Uh, so this is really great. And then it's also, it also though can lead me into thinking a lot. And then there's Lomprapasano who just like cuts right to the chase. And, you know, just says it in very plain English. They're saying the same thing. So I thought it would be really interesting to just share, uh, you know, these different ways of expressing the exact same teachings. And then to just share a little example of my, in my own life, of how I have, can see this uh, in action. And that, so this was very short, don't hold back teachings by Lankar Pasano. I read this out last week. We need to see the truth of things in all situations and the wholesome response appropriate to Dhamma in a way that creates benefit and is grounded in freedom. There needs to be a real questioning within the heart. If truth and practice are not informing and supporting each other, then the whole path of freedom does not manifest. That balance is very difficult to actualize. 
The, teaching gives, the teachings give us tools to investigate more clearly to strike a balance with wisdom. We need to learn to utilize wisdom to cut through and relinquish defilements, biases, and prejudices rather than to support them. And in a moment, I'll read how to do that. <laughs> you know, the, the technicalities of it all. And I just found this really actually quite exciting. I love that the Buddhist teachings are, so, are still available and still applicable to us in our daily lives. So before I read this, I'm just going to share an ex, uh, a brief example in my own life. Uh, the means and ends, craving as a motivating factor. What's the difference between wholesome craving and unwholesome craving? And how can we recognize how unwholesome craving, how clinging and how un not well-placed craving leads to suffering and well-placed craving leads to the end of suffering. How can we start to recognize this pattern within our own lives so we can understand, am I? Am I clinging? Is this wholesome craving or unwholesome craving? What's going on here? And it's actually really simple. It's not easy to do because of our habits. So when I, my example is uh, very simple. When I was a young girl, my mother had 10 kids and she was consistently throughout her life, throughout my life, she was a real, she kept her house very clean. She was also a hoarder, but she was well organized in what she hoarded. And that didn't actually manifest until many years later. But anyway, as growing up, we as children were assigned particular jobs uh, every weekend. So every Saturday we had a job and it would last half the day. You know, to you, we had to clean something, windows or wiping down the bath, the entire bathroom walls or doing all the laundry or all the ironing or mending or whatever it was, we were assigned to something. And I was not the most um, generous of children. <laughs> I was, I did not like even at that age <laughs> to be told what to do. And um, I resisted my chores. I resisted my chores because I knew that if I resisted or if, I, and how I'd resist is just, I would go so slow. I would take forever to get a job done that my mom would eventually, she would get frustrated and do it herself. And I knew this. So I kept doing it. I didn't want to do, I don't want to clean. So I'll Wipe down the windowsills. Oh, just let me do it. <laughs> okay. As an adult, moving out on my own, having an apartment of my own, this habit didn't work well for me. I still didn't like cleaning. <laughs> but that meant I had to live in a dirty, untidy house, and I had grown up in a very, very tidy house. You know, so... I started to 
clean. And I started to feel the benefits of a clean house versus the discomfort of an unclean house. And eventually it grew into a habit of enjoying cleaning the house. Just seeing something out of place and picking it up. And that was, okay, this is just feeling good. Feeling good because it just feels good to put this away rather than to trip over it. It just feels good. So my habits began to change. And eventually, fast forward 50 years, and my mother's in a home, and she's losing cognitive, uh, she's in a facility, and she's losing her cognitive functions, and her house is getting really messy. And I, I live a couple miles away, it's a straight shot, so now I'm enjoying cleaning, so I'm going to her house, or her apartment now, and I see it a bit messy and I'm enjoying cleaning it up. And I always, every week, once a week, I would bring her a big batch of flowers, throw out the old one. I just, now I'm enjoying this and I'm not doing it for any reason other than it's just enjoyable. It's enjoyable to sparse, you know, make it look pretty. By this time, my mother doesn't even know who I am, but she tells me one day, I've always wanted to have a daughter like you. <laughs> and I told her, that's good because I am your daughter. <laughs> so I'm getting joy now out of just naturally, uh, the, the natural action of, the natural wholesomeness of an action, as opposed to trying to, you know, get away with something. Or even trying to get my mother to admire me. It was, I don't need to, I don't need that anymore. So anyway, you'll see well how that story came up for me when I when I read this. It's only five minutes. I also typed it up uh, this morning, and in rereading it, realized I had made several typos. <laughs> so I did scratch a bunch of things out and put little words in there myself that of what. Paiuta had actually said, which means I might hesitate in trying to read this because it's a bit of a mess. But means and ends, craving as a motivating force. This is just five minutes long. When one gets to the heart of the matter, one recognizes that craving, tanha, that's the unwholesome craving, that craving, in fact, is not a genuine motivation for action because the act itself is not the priority for the craving. Craving desires to consume and acquire things that provide one with pleasure. Wholesome desire, chanda, on the other hand, wishes for true completion and fulfillment of all things with which one engages. This dichotomy provides for complexity in regard to action and non-action. So here's an example. A person is endowed with wholesome enthusiasm. She sees the interior of a house and wants it to be clean. She wishes for this dwelling to exist in a state of completeness. If it is dirty, she wishes for it to be clean and picks up a broom and sweeps the floor. She derives joy and contentment both from sweeping which is the cause for the desired results, and from witnessing a clean space, 
which is the direct result from seeing. And I just want to point out how this is a wholesome desire that it's beautiful in the beginning. It arises because it's like, oh, I want this place to be clean. It's beautiful in the beginning. It's beautiful in the middle. I'm enjoying sweeping. And it's beautiful in the end. Oh, this is clean. This feels good. It's beautiful in the beginning. It's beautiful in the middle. And it's beautiful in the end. And she recognizes this. Another person has no interest or delight in cleanliness, but he does not have, but he does have a sweet tooth. His mother suggests that he helps with the sweeping, but he doesn't respond. She thus says, if you sweep the house, I will buy you some sweets. And when he hears this, he picks up a broom and he sweeps. In fact, he does not desire cleanliness. He only sweeps because this action is a means by which he can get some candy. This person derives no pleasure from sweeping. He may even find it irritating and he is not determined to do a good job. His mother may need to constantly supervise him. This is because sweeping is the cause for a clean house, which is not the results he desires. His happiness will have to wait until he gets the sweets. Do you see the difference there? You know, he's suffering. He's, it, it's not beautiful in the beginning. I don't want to sleep. I don't, I'm not going to respond to your request. I don't want to do that. There's irritation, and that is suffering. So it's not beautiful in the beginning. And then he sweeps, and he doesn't, he's not enjoying sweeping. It's not a pleasure because he hasn't yet got what he wants. And then he's done. He doesn't even do a good job at it because the act of sweeping is not why he's doing it. He's doing it because he's going to get the reward of sweets in the end. When craving leads to an avoidance of action, it may manifest in the form of laziness, whereby one clings to pleasurable sensations. Alternatively, it may manifest in the form of fear, say, by being afraid of encountering some form of discomfort while performing an action or being anxious of losing self-importance. When action is needed for craving to get what it wants, that is, increased sensual pleasures or reinforced self-importance, craving urges inaction without considering whether positive effects derived from acting may be forfeited. So when my mom asked me to wipe down the windowsills, I didn't think about the benefits of wiping down the windowsills. I thought about, I don't want to. I don't want to do this. What's the reward for me? And I eventually found that the reward was not in the action itself, but that my mom would do it if I went really, really slow, or if I just didn't do it at all, then she'd do it. And that to me was, I thought that was a reward. And that's delusion. That is thinking I won and I really lost. Here are more examples. A child refuses to go to school because he knows his mother will bribe him with sweets. This is a clear case of inaction 
being a potent form of action, uh, in action being, you know, we're pretending, we're, we're fooling ourselves. But this is a clear case of inaction being a potent form of action. A man finishes work early in order to drink alcohol and gamble. Someone receives a bribe um, in order to refrain from work that he should be doing. And so he, uh, in this case, one forfeits the satisfaction and delight that is connected to the fruits of one's own labor. Positive action is initiated by wholesome desire, Chanda, stemming from wisdom, which recognizes what is truly valuable and what should be done. Wisdom rouses wholesome desire for bringing these things to completion. It's wisdom that rouses desire so that the space will be cleaned. Wisdom will rouse a desire for wholesome action to be completed. Even in the case when craving initiates actions, there are perils because the preconditions mentioned earlier establish the following equation. Craving urges actions out of delight for pleasure derived from such action rather than from the action itself. It urges action out of delight for the pleasure derived from such action, you know, for future results. The more one acts, um, the more one acts, the more pleasure one receives. The more times I refuse to wipe, to, to follow up on my mother's request for cleaning the house, the more pleasure I get out of not having to clean the house because she'll do it. The more one acts, the more pleasure one receives, the more pleasure there is, the more one desires, the more one desires, the more one acts. In many occasions, people keep acting, acting until the positive results of those actions are squandered. So by the time I moved out into an apartment by myself, there were no more positive in my mind thinking the positive was that I didn't have to clean, but I could still live, live in a clean house. That didn't work anymore. That had been squandered. That was up. Wholesome desire, on the other hand, initiates action out of delight for its positive and wholesome effects. The more one acts, the more these positive effects increase and the more delight when one experiences the more delight one has, the more one acts. One continues acting until the goodness and integrity reaches completion. The action fully corresponds with its object. So it's complete, it's done. Whereas when we're craving something, we're to, and we take an action to try to get what we want, we're just keeping that cycle going. It doesn't complete, there's no end to it. Because it's not the, the, what we're craving is not connected with the action. Once the action's complete, we think we win with you know, the benefit of getting around something, the benefit of aversion, the benefit of 
uh, establishing self-importance, you know, instead of the benefit of the action itself. In some craving more often than not urges inaction, and even when it initiates action, these actions are hazardous and lead to more harmful effects than beneficial ones. One should thus abandon craving and instead foster, will, will <coughs> foster wisdom and cultivate wholesome desires. I'm gonna read this, this paragraph from Lumpropasano again, and you can, I think you will see how he's saying the same thing in really simple terms. We need to see the truth of things in all situations and the wholesome response appropriate to Dhamma in a way that creates benefit and is grounded in freedom. You can say grounded in freedom, grounded in completeness. Freedom from the cycle of more craving. There needs to be a real questioning within the heart. If truth and practice are not informing and supporting each other, then the whole path of freedom doesn't manifest. That balance is very difficult to actualize. The teachings give us tools to invest, investigate more clearly, to strike a balance with wisdom. We need to learn to utilize wisdom to cut through and relinquish defilements, biases, and prejudices rather than to support them.